Yeah. Okay, we are on the air. We're here live. The story begins with chapter 40, page 470. We're continuing our discussion about kavana, um, devotion, intention, attentiveness, love, passion, reverence. Well, we'll use all these words interchangeably. We spoke about where kavana takes us to. Kavana, with it done with a mitzvah or a prayer or Torah study, enables us to not only connect to God's will, but to actually experience it on some level. Um, in Kabbalistic lingo, kavana elevates our mitzvahs elevates our service. And we spoke about three types of kavana. Um, in three general types of kavana. Number one, just to recap as um, so we can, as we segue into this chapter. Number one, there's doing something with intention. So you're doing it for the right reason. I'm passionate about my relationship with God. So I'm going to do a mitzvah, I'm going to study Torah, I'm going to pray. And that's, that's the first type of kavana. This type of kavana will elevate us to an incredible deep state of awareness in our uh, relationship with God, in his will, his mitzvahs. Brings us to a higher place in heaven, a deeper place in heaven, where there's a greater state of awareness, depending on what type of kavana, depending on how this kavana is um, developed, right? We spoke about in the beginning of chapter um, 39, sometimes Kavana can be intellectually developed, which is deeper because you've chosen to experience Kavana. You've chosen to be passionate. Sometimes Kavana is more instinctual, which is less chosen. It's more remembering about how much I innately do care. And that's not going to get me quite as high but if we can settle for that, we're still pretty good. Trust me. <laughs> um, so the, that's that's level number one. I'm I'm having kavana. Level number two is I'm not having kavana, but I'm not doing it for the wrong reason. I'm not doing it for the right reason, but I'm not doing it for the wrong reason. I'm just doing it out of habit. So I'm used to it. I'm used to putting on tefillin. I'm used to lighting the Shabbat candles. It's a it's a habit. And if we do something out of habit, by the way, and it's good, we're not complaining. We're not saying it's a bad thing. We're saying that we're going, we're not going to experience the relationship in the same way. So yes, we're bringing God's will in this world, but it's not going to be elevated. In other words, we're not going to have a heightened level of awareness in our relationship with God because we're not doing it for the right reason. Uh, we're not doing it for the right reason. We're not having that attentiveness. Then the, the um, now let's, let's take a look on that. We actually introduced that level in the beginning of our chapter on page 470 on the bottom. And here's what we say about this level of attentiveness. That what happens is, let, let's say I've been studying Torah for many months and doing mitzvahs for many months without any attentiveness. As soon as I begin to study attentively, 
I've elevated my whole past. I don't even have to do teshuva. All I have to do is get back on track. It's like a train. Imagine a train is off track. As soon as you get back on track, eventually the entire train is going to get back on track, including the caboose, right? As soon as I have kavana, the entire life that I've had of prayer, study, mitzvahs that has been done without attentiveness is going to get back on the rail. It's going to get back on track. Um, this is talking about where I'm not doing it for the wrong reasons. I'm just not doing it for the right reasons. So let's take a look in the bottom of 470. As long, but as long, so long, all the way in the bottom. So long as you haven't gone back and studied the Torah text with an authentic intent, your study won't rise up even to the 10 spheres that illuminate the worlds of Yitzira and Asiya, excuse the Kabbalistic lingo. I'm going to, let's take a look on 471, the second bold paragraph. A quote from the Zohar. Because again, the, to remind ourselves, just to put in context what the Tanya is. The Tanya essentially is a roadmap to our soul, a roadmap to understanding our relationship with God. But it is based on ideas of Torah. So we're going to be quoting the Torah often, whether it be Talmud, whether it be Kabbalah, whether it be scripture. So the Tikkuni Zohar states, the second bold paragraph 471, the Tikkuni Zohar states, without reverence and love for God, your Torah can't rise up and stand before God. Even if I'm not doing it for the wrong reasons, if I'm not having the right intention, if I'm not actively being attentive, it can't go up. And this is interesting. You're going to see something really cool here. Just hold on tight. Hold, go to the next bold paragraph. Just bear with me for a second. Stay in the ark. Stay on the boat. Rather, with, nat, with neutral intent, your study will ascend not to the divine spheres, but to the chambers. And what is that word? Who can help me here? <laughs> Repositories. Repositories. Thank you. In those worlds. This book wasn't meant for rabbis. No, okay. <laughs> Which are the superficial dimension of the world. So the analogy that we gave for this is actually the, the, the temple, the Beit HaMikdash, right? God is everywhere. But where is God most experienced? Where can he be most accessible? In the Beit HaMikdash. And in the Beit HaMikdash, where can he be most accessible? The Holy of Holies. Right? Just like your soul, your soul's all over your body, your soul's everywhere. But where is it most experienced in your mind? Right? Where is the divine presence most experienced? The Holy of Holies. So through a mitzvah, we can get into the worlds, into the chambers of the worlds, we can get into the Beit HaMikdash, but we can't get into the Holy of Holies. We can't have that clarity, that heightened level of awareness that would have taken place were we to be in the Holy of Holies. If we don't have the right kavanah. And what's interesting is, all we can do is get to where the angels can get, but nothing better than that, right? Take a look, that's the fascinating thing here. The next bold paragraph. And it's there, the superficial dimension of the world that the angels are stationed. 
so, so just, just to give some background here, Kabbalah talks about many different worlds. And it, it's just kind of a funny concept. To, like, what, what does a world mean? A world doesn't mean a planet. <laughs> there's Earth and there's... What is a world? A world means... Well, the way I, I like to translate worlds in these contexts is different levels of awareness. So in a more spiritual world, where there's less what we call tzimtzum, there's less filter of God's divine light. This world has a lot of filter, by the way. Where there's less filter, there's going to be greater awareness. And there's certain, and if you can go into the beta mikdash of that world, beta mikdash exists in every world. And if you can go into the holy of holies with that world, which our kavana will take us there, our awareness will be incredible, will be profound. And I know these concepts are abstract. Bear with me. We're going to do our best to, to bring it down and to make this practical. But what's fascinating is without Kavana, we're just reaching where angels can reach. Theoretically, we can reach beyond where the angels can reach. You can be more spiritually in tune with God than an angel can. And the reason is because an angel is created to be spiritually in tune. We're created to work on ourselves, to force ourselves, to make ourselves become spiritually in tune. Um, I want to ask a question. You know, when yes. and you're under 40 and they used to say, if you study and you, you get to a different world, you're going to go mad and you won't be grounded anymore. Does that still pertain to you? Okay, very good question. Excellent question. Because, you know, just in a different world. Excellent question. If if it's done correctly, um, it can be done. The the Arizal, Rabbi Isaac Luria, lived in Sfat. He was one of the most um, universally respected Kabbalists. And most of what we know in the world of Kabbalah, in the realm of Kabbalah, is because of Rabbi Isaac Luria. Is because of the Arizal. Arizal lived in, just to give historical context, I believe the late 1400s, maybe early 1500s. Some of you may be familiar with Rabbi Yosef Cairo, just to give historical context. Rabbi Yosef Cairo authored the Jewish Code of Law, the, the Shulchan Aruch, also lived in Sfat. He was a student of the Arizal. The Arizal stated that although there was a time where Kabbalah was not for everybody, it's something that everybody should learn. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, just like Jewish law, everybody should learn Jewish law because we all have to know what to do, right? Yeah. But you have to know how to learn it properly so you can apply it properly, right? And it's the same thing with Kabbalah. Everybody should learn Kabbalah. It has to be applied properly. And one of the things that the Tanya does is it helps us apply these concepts properly by explaining these Kabbalistic um, ideas. Because were I to open a book of the Arizal, and start reading Kabbalah, I'll be honest with you, I probably wouldn't go mad. I'd probably just get bored and close it because I don't really get what's going on. Um, but, but one of the things that Tanya does in other books and other scholars throughout history was adapt these ideas to make them more uh, palpable, more relatable, uh, more relevant. 
And the, mo the most important part of this is, is really seeing how it applies in our relationships and especially our relationship with God. But then there's the third level. There's doing something not for the right reason, for the right attentiveness, right? That's number one. Then there's doing something, doing a mitzvah without any intention, just out of habit. But then there's doing it for the wrong reason. Right, take a look on the bottom of 472. What happens if we do study Torah and we do mitzvahs and we do good things, but for the wrong intention? What's an example of doing something for the wrong intention? Um, you, you give um, tzedakah to get advertising. Right. I give charity so I can get my name on the building, right? Or I study Torah because I enjoy being knowledgeable. Right, I like to be in the know-it-all. Now, be, before we continue, I must warn you, if you are doing something good for the wrong reason, do not stop. <laughs> Keep it going. <laughs> uh, um, I, I may have said this story in the past, but I'll say it again because I think it's so important. There was a, a Hasidic uh, student. He was a student of, of the author of the Tanya, Rabbi Shneur Zalman, and he told the author, he tells him, Rebbe, I give a lot of charity, I'm a wealthy man, I'm quite charitable, but I notice myself having the wrong intentions. I'm doing it because it makes me feel good and I'm, I'm not being authentic in this mitzvah. So I'm considering on cutting back. So the Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Shneur Zalman told him, you may be lacking authenticity when you give the charity, but the guy receiving it is very authentic, trust me. <laughs> so keep it going, right? When we're doing something wrong and it's inauthentic, don't let that stop us, keep it going. The point of this, of what we're about to say is not to stop us, even if we're inauthentic. Just elevate it. Exactly, exactly. And what happens, and that's why the Talmud says a person should always study Torah, always do mitzvahs, even if it is for the wrong reasons, because eventually you get back on track. Like we said at the end of chapter 39, take a look on the bottom of 472. But Torah, which is studied with a complete, with a completely inauthentic intent, top of 473, such as to be celebrated as a Torah scholar, etc., simply doesn't ascend heavenward at all, which means I'm doing what God wants, but I'm not going to experience the godliness in it. So I'm gonna to learn Torah, but if it's about my knowledge, then I'm not gonna see it as a relationship with God. What I'm gonna see is a textbook. It's not even gonna to go to the chambers or respiratories of the sacred angels. It's not gonna go into the Beit HaMikdash, let alone the Holy of Holies. Rather that Torah remains below temporarily, like we said earlier, until Teshuvah is done in this physical world, which is the repository of the klipa, of the negative energy. It won't elevate unless we have the right tensions. So again, just to recap on the three levels, there's authenticity in our relationship with God, which, in, which benefits us with an incredible experience, a heightened level of awareness in our relationship with God. There's doing it um, not for the wrong reasons, but not authentically either, just out of habit. 
And that's going to bring us to some level of awareness, but perhaps just an inspirational level of awareness, but not a, a deep understanding or an appreciation. And then there's doing it totally inauthentically, but actually for the wrong reasons, whatever that may be, to be celebrated as a scholar, etc. And that's going to totally remain down here. It's not so, the end of the world. Keep it going. The point is not to stop us. The point is we need to actually, you know, look at it this way. If we're lacking intent, so the solution isn't, okay, well, I'm going to stop because I don't have intent. <laughs> the solution is get yourself some intent, right? Get some, and that's what we're here to learn about, how to, how to get the proper intent. But before we get there, there's an important issue that we must address. And this is really, it may seem technical, but it really is important. The Torah is God's wisdom. The Torah is God's values. It's essentially God's value system or moral system, going back to our discussion earlier. The Torah is God's moral, moral code. In other words, when we study Torah, essentially God is being vulnerable with us because he's telling us what he values. He's telling us what he wants. It's, some, it's quite flattering because you don't share your values with everybody, right? You're not going to have a political discussion or whatever your values might be with somebody that you can't trust. But God shares all of his values with us. And he's quite upfront about them because he's being vulnerable with us. The now, in the words of the Zohar, the Torah and God are one. It's his mind. He's allowing us into his mind, into his head. That's quite vulnerable. So why would my kavana make a difference? If the Torah is one with God, and when we study Torah, God's opening himself up to us, who cares about the intentions I'm having? God is talking, listen, right? <laughs> Why are my intentions relevant to have this experience? Make sense? Mm -hmm. So this is an important issue that we need to address. Okay, I have a question, sorry, can I yes. ask? Please. So you know you study the Torah and every time of the year you have to study like it has to go according to the sequence. So now if you want to get Kavana and you've got like issues and then you go to a different sequence, is it wrong or is it? Not at all. So you, you can go back and so to get Kavana for you, you need to look at what's appropriate and valuable. So now if you've got the Torah for that day and you go to something else, then do you have to do both? Or <laughs> so so there there is going to be a daily study cycle, but yeah. you're able to study. You're, you're able to peek ahead for sure, 100%. Back and you can go ahead and you can, and you, but do you have to do the daily cycle as well as that? Okay. I, I wouldn't say the word have to. Yeah. I would say the word should. Okay. Just to because, say that it's relevant so that you know yeah, what exactly. 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 And there's something, there's something valuable about being on the same page as everybody as well. Yeah. God so you, wants you to want to. Yeah, exactly. God <laughs> wants us to want to, and, the, and the, well, well, that's where the kavana comes in. Basically, that inspiration. And, but for some reason, the Torah, which is God's values, which we're going to 
allowed to speak to us, for some reason requires kavana, even though it's one with him. In other words, God can be vulnerable with us through his Torah. We have to open that book in order for it to happen. But in order for us to experience it, we need kavana. And here's the reason why. Let's read it inside. Um, 474, it's the fourth bold paragraph, or the second to last bold paragraph above the line. So, but the matter is not so simple since the blessed Holy One, God, also pervades all worlds equally. God is everywhere. So why do you have to get him in the Torah, right? <laughs> in the first place, he's everywhere. And nevertheless, the worlds are not equal in level. The differences are rising as a result of the recipients. So even though God is everywhere, he's not going to be perceived in the same way everywhere, right? Depending on what spiritual world you were able to enter, you'll have a different level of perception. Well, God is still just as present in every world. So I, I give you the analogy of a teacher. A teacher can teach the same thing to two different students, right, or a whole classroom of students, and each student is going to understand the information on a different level. That doesn't mean the teacher said something else to each person. It means that everybody else had their everybody had their subjective. Uh, perception of what the teacher said and it's the same thing with god god is everywhere but there is depending on the recipient he's going there's going to be different levels of awareness and by recipients i mean individual people i also mean the worlds in which those people are found and it happens to be that it's our world where there's such a strong filter of God's divine light, which we call in Kabbalistic lingo, tzimtzum. There's such a strong divine filter, filtering out his light, that our awareness is going to be the most limited in this world. Actually, by the way, the word world in Hebrew, you know how to say world in Hebrew, right? Olam. Olam. The word olam also means hidden. Because the world acts as a filter that hides God's divine light. Um, take, take a look on the bottom of 475, the last bold paragraph. Actually, before, before we get to that, th actually take a look at the the first bold paragraph, it, um, the lines, it's in the middle of the page, 475. The first is that the upper worlds are capable of receiving infinitely greater illumination than the lower worlds. So the reason why a higher world, a higher space of awareness will have more awareness is because it's capable of receiving more light. In other words, there's less symptom, less diminishment, less filter of that light. The second is that the upper worlds receives God's light without as many filters and veils as the lower worlds. So there's more light, there's less concealment, less filter. But our world 
our level of human awareness is the exact opposite. There's not that much light because of, and there's a lot of filters, right? Which is why this world is so material and so physical. The first thing we notice about anything is its physical appearance, right? Which is what klipa is. This is the world of klipa. Klipa means the shell, because that's what we see. We see the surface. And it takes a good heart, a sensitive heart, to see beyond the surface. Is it protecting us so that only when you're ready for it, you can see the light? And 100%. The more... 100%. Exactly. And, and that's where the kavana is. Sorry? So you're safe. You're safe when, you've got, when you're not ready for it. You're safe in a safe space. And when you're ready for it, you will see the light. A hundred percent. And that's where the Kavana is. God is basically saying, if I shine this light to you, it, you're going to blind yourself. It's going to hurt. But if you have the Kavana, you're, you know, the, 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 the best analogy is the student teacher relationship. If the teacher just dumps every single information that he's ever learned and that he ever knows onto the students, he's going to overwhelm them. But if he slowly feeds the students, and allows them to ask questions and open up their mind, eventually they'll be ready. Yeah. And that's what God is saying. He's basically saying, I'm hiding myself so you can find me and you can appreciate me. There's a beautiful story. You're going to like this story. There was a rabbi named Avraham Hamalach, which translates as Avraham the angel. He was the son of the Magid of Mezrich. The Magid of Mezrich was... Rabbi Dovber of Mezrich was the teacher of the author of this Tanya and his son was actually good buddies with the author and they used to study together and he was known as Rabbi Avram HaMalach, Avram the angel because he was a angelic type of person very holy spiritual person um, in the Chabad culture especially back then that would have been considered an insult an angel, I'm a human humans can get much higher than angels um, but nevertheless, he was a little boy, about five years old, and he was playing hide and seek with his friends. And we all know this, when you're playing hide and seek with your friends and you want to pick on that one friend who's it, what do you do? You stop looking, right? And now they're hiding forever. And that's exactly what his friends did. They did a practical joke on him. He was playing hide and seek. He's hiding. He got a good spot. And his, nobody found him. He went to his father, the Magid of Mezrich, and he starts to cry. Father says, why are you crying? He says, because we're playing hide and seek and nobody found me. So he says, wonderful, you won. You won the game. He says, no, nobody found me because they didn't look for me. It's not because I hid so well. It's because they didn't even look for me. They didn't even try. And the Magid said, wow, what a powerful lesson in our relationship with God. God is hiding. And he says, why didn't you guys find me? And we say, well, you did a good job, God. <laughs> You're hiding. And he says, yeah, but did you look? Because if you were to look for me, you would find me. That's exactly what the kavana is when we study Torah. When we study Torah, God is there with us. 
But when we have kavana with the right intentions, the right reverence, the right passion, the right love, which we'll discuss how to get in subsequent chapters, now we actually get to experience this. There's a beautiful song by Avraham Fried. Great, he's a Hasidic singer. He's good. Check him up on YouTube. It's called "Don't Don't Hide from Me." <laughs> it, it, it's it's basically putting the whole Tanya, the whole Judaism into a song. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful song. You can check it out later. Later. Um, where are we? Let's take a look on 477. One second. Some of my notes here. Okay, page 477. It's the middle of the page. Where it says, and even though the where God seems most absent, he's still present, right? It's just the recipient's fault if we don't see God. We have to look for him. Nevertheless, he's the most hidden of all hidden. And he's called a God that hides mistater. As it says in Isaiah, both terms share the same Hebrew word as Hester, hidden. God is hidden. Even though God is everywhere, he's hiding himself. It says, I actually love this quote because it's, it, it's, encapsulates everything. Rabbi Shalom Ber, Rishalom Dover, who is known as the fifth leader in the Chabad dynasty, used to say that the world, our world, is so unaware of God to the point that we're almost not aware that he even exists. To be aware that he exists takes effort, takes faith, takes sensitivity. In another world, were you to travel to another world, stay here with us, but theoretically, you were to travel to heaven, you were to travel to a place where there was a heightened level of awareness, because there was a little bit less filter and more light. The fact that God exists is a given. And what you would be figuring out is who is this God that exists? But in our world, God is so hidden that we're not even at the point where we're trying to figure out who this God is. We're trying to just get to terms with the fact that he is, that he it, exists. That's why he sends angels so that we can see if you're on a level that because then at least you know that he's there. I mean, sometimes, why? sometimes we have, you know, inspiration why? and we have signs. Yeah. Why does he send angels if he can do the jobs himself? So that we can see him? That's a good question. I don't know because we, we're not always going to be aware that it's an angel. Yeah, we're not aware because we're not going to be on that level. But if you do see the angels, then you know it's the hand of God. Then it's, is he bringing himself down so that we can see him? It's... To do a mission? To do, do something? To... I mean, a, a, angels are his messengers. That's essentially what an angel is. But why do it? Why through an angel, not himself? I, I don't know. I don't, yeah, it's, it's just because it's interesting. You brought up that concept last time that he sends angels to do stuff. 
for Abraham, he brought the angels there and he knew it was an right. angel. And, right. and I mean, God could have just been there himself. And we, I mean, we don't know the answers. It's just interesting. It is interesting. It's an interesting so, question. In, in business, I've heard same sort of concept that I, I heard somebody in my company talk about in another division. They said, they are so messed up, they don't know how messed up they are. <laughs> and I've heard people say, I'm so lost, I don't know how lost I am. Right, you know? right. In it. There's times where we're, you know, like in our, in exile, we forget that we're in exile because we're busy in exile. You know, sometimes it's like, uh, I, you know, there's, there was once two rabbis, they walk into a wine cellar and it was a basement, it was dark. So he said, don't worry, you're, you can't see anything now, but in a few minutes, it's going to get brighter. You'll be able to see. And he the other rabbi says to him, no, 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 no. It's not going to get brighter. Your eyes are going to adjust. You're just going to forget that it's dark, but it's not actually going to get brighter. If you want it to get brighter, you got to open the door, got to open the window, you got to turn on a light. You know, sometimes we think it's light just because we forget that it's dark. Our eyes have adjusted. And, and Vitanya here is reminding us the importance of Kavana, importance of turning on that light in doing our observances, because this is what happens. Take a look on 478. So just to recap, God is everywhere but he's going to ex be experienced differently by each person in, a, in each world on each different level of awareness. And that's because of tzimtzum. If we can have kavana, the right kavana, what we're essentially doing is we are clearing the filter so more light can shine in so we can experience it better. Nevertheless, the, the uh, third paragraph from the page on 478, second bold paragraph, nevertheless, the glimmer of God's holy light, which does shine in these words of Torah or prayer spoken without intent, suffers from symptom from this filter to the absolute extreme. And here's the reason. What is the cause of this extreme symptom? Since in this case, the light of the Torah or prayer is not expressed in the heart and mind, but only in the organs of speech, the voice and its speech are physical. When I speak and my physical speech, the physical words that I'm uttering, the letters that I'm uttering, that I'm enunciating are what's containing the prayers. The prayers are essentially trapped in something physical. On the other hand, if I don't utter them, it never happened. So there, there's, the, there's kind of this dichotomy. So what happens is when I have kavana, though, everything changes. Take a look on the next paragraph, the next bold paragraph. But when prayer is carried out with concentration, right, which is what kavana is, or Torah studied with authentic intent, again, kavana, we're just using different synonyms for kavana, then the kavana becomes enmeshed in the spoken letters. I'm going to skip all the way to the bottom of the page, the last paragraph. And this merging of the divine light in the kavana and the physical act of speaking Torah or prayer is possible since the kavana is the source and root of this prayer and Torah study because it's the direct cause and reason which led to the speaking of these letters, prayer or Torah. 
so now in, in, in English, <laughs> when I utter a prayer, do a mitzvah, speak words of Torah without any intention, I'm doing what God wants, it's holy, but I'm not gonna experience it as such because at the end of the day, I'm doing something physical. But if I have kavana, what motivated that physical? That, that, and again, that, phys that physicality that I'm engaged in is a filter for God's life. But if I have kavana, if I have intention, which means I develop some sort of passion and interest. Now what's motivating the physical articulation of the words is my passion and my interest. So now the physical words are enmeshed together with the kavana and now the words are expressing my relationship with God, not hiding it. Make sense? All this to say, if, if we could just sum everything up that we've learned tonight. Kavana is important Kavana meaning passion, reverence, interest is important because it enables us to actually experience the God that we're connecting with. To actually experience it, not just do it. Right? A relationship, a marital relationship can't just be physical. There has to be affection. And it's the same with Kavana. It's the same in our relationship with God. The physical articulation of the words is not sufficient. The physical performance of the mitzvahs is not, there has to be the affection too, if we want to experience it as a positive relationship, which is part of bringing God into this world. Part of bringing God into this world, which is our ultimate mission, is experiencing it in a very pleasant and enjoyable way. I, I, I'm sorry for asking so many questions, but no, no, please. Yeah, I, I want to know, like, so when people study and they, you look back and you speak to a lot of people studying, and then they say, "Oh, this is the time that I got kavana, that I feel like I've got purpose and meaning, and this is the meaning for me why I pray, and this is the meaning for me why I do things that that I do," and you you hear from a lot of people, you other people might benefit from that knowing that aha point when they found kavana and got found meaning and also goes the other way when they lose kavana so they're just doing it routinely looking back and saying where did you lose it and maybe helping each other find it again right like a buddy system <laughs> but it's it's like um it's interesting of people are learning together and then maybe even people in their lives like older people maybe Different things give them cover night different times of their life. Right. And, you know, we're, we're, and we'll talk about that um, starting in chapter 41, the different types of kavana. In other words, how do I develop passion? How do I develop reverence? How do I, and, and we'll discuss the different angles. And we'll get there. Okay. We'll get there. But it's, it's very interesting because it's, it's so important, everything you do, to have passionate cover. <laughs> right, exactly. That's the bottom line. Yeah. God, like, like David said, God, um, God wants us to want it. Yeah.
Okay, well, that's my story. Thank you. Thank you.